the Gospels make it clear that the tomb was empty, that nothing was left behind when Jesus was raised from the dead. Why is this important? Why should we take these scriptural accounts literally? After all, isn't it most important that the Spirit of Jesus lived on, in, and among his disciples, and that his life and teachings have inspired generations? Some think this is what Christ's resurrection is all about. Well, that is certainly a big part of the story, but it misses something crucial. It is of vital importance that not only Jesus' spirit, but his body, was caught up in an amazing transformation to new, unending, glorified life beyond anything we can imagine. This transformation was altogether different from what happened in Jesus' raising of Lazarus, the subject of a recent gospel reading. In the case of Lazarus, a corpse was wonderfully brought back to earthly life, which eventually ended in death. In our Lord's case, the fullness of Jesus' humanity, which included his body, was raised by the power of God to what Father Richard Benson called a region of spiritual power that is altogether new. Human nature, for the first time, became united with divinity without the limitations of bodily life on earth. Jesus could thus fully act as the mediator of a new covenant, linking God and humanity in a bond that cannot be broken, a bond which guarantees life and peace, and into which eight children were baptized here last evening. Only with the resurrection of Jesus in the fullness of his being was the horror of the, cru of the crucifixion totally reversed. And since I wrote that, I was thinking, well, it's not exactly a reversal. It goes far beyond that. But the horror was turned into wonder and joy, something beyond words. The disciples thought they faced a situation of absolute loss, a situation beyond hope of redemption. Instead, God reversed that situation of loss completely and even went beyond that, raising Jesus fully and exalting him to a new realm as Lord of all, to whom all power and authority was given, both in heaven and on earth. As the angel told the astonished women who came to the tomb early in the morning, the crucified one was not there. He had been raised. What had seemed a horrible ending was only the beginning of God's glorious work in Christ to redeem the whole creation, including its material aspects, in order to bring it back to God and God's purposes. This marked the biggest turning point in human history. Now, as Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, put it, at the heart of the desperate suffering there is in the world, suffering we can do nothing to resolve or remove for good, there is an indestructible energy making for love. I like associating God with energy. 
We all need it. <laughs> that sort of energy for good, for love. Rather than giving up on humanity, and God had every reason to give up on us, God amazingly exalted humanity in Jesus as the means by which the world might end its destructive ways and move, however slowly and painstakingly, toward the life that Jesus exemplifies. It's a new day, and things can now be fundamentally different in wonderful ways because of that power. The love and the power of God which are revealed in the Lord's resurrection can turn things around for good no matter how bleak the circumstances. We call this redemption, and we have evidence of it, of God's power at work to bring good from ill from that first Easter morning until now. In an Easter sermon at my seminary back in 02 or 03, Dr. Jonathan Lindman, a Lutheran pastor, noted how Matthew's account of the risen Lord's encounter with the women at the tomb points to Jesus' power from that point on to reverse humanity's destructive course. The first word Jesus says to the women in the original Greek is kairate. Sure, I'm not pronouncing that right. Kairate, which we translate greetings. That may seem insignificant until we realize that two chapters earlier in Matthew, Judas comes up to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, Kyrie, Rabbi. And that's in the process of betraying him. He betrays him with a kiss. Kyrie, Rabbi. And so maybe it's not an accident that Matthew gives us that parallel. Perhaps he is pointing out the fundamental shift in what is possible for human beings thanks to the resurrection. Jesus uses a word which Judas's use had tainted in a transformed context as a means of grace. That was a sincere kairote uh, that had connotations of welcome and of love. And he thus took away the sting that that term had had before when Judas used it. The evil, of course, was still remembered. It, is an, it was an unalterable fact of history what happened with Judas. But that history had no power to do harm anymore. This is the nature of redemption. The scars are still there, but the evil that produced them has no power or effect anymore. Its sting had been removed. This brings to mind redemption through the power of God that occurred in my own family of God taking away the sting of the past and bringing new life. My mother's parents were wonderful, loving people, both of whom struggled with alcoholism. My grandfather won this struggle in his 40s, but my grandmother continued to struggle until a much older age until she finally prevailed as well. Those were two miracles. Of course, she wouldn't have wanted me to talk about this in church, but I bet that she has a different perspective now. I think she'd be okay with it. The experience of all this history left scars on my mother's, their daughter's psyche 
that were not quick to heal. For years, Mom couldn't help resenting what her parents had put her through and were putting her through, despite the good times, loving times they also had. But Mom was a devout Christian who believed in the power of God in Christ to overcome any evil. At one point, she remarked to me that, that all of a sudden it seemed and was the fact that God had taken away all her resentment and bitterness with which she had been burdened for years. She didn't have those feelings anymore. Evil had no power, no sting anymore through the grace of God, and she was freed from that bondage to live and love in the power of God's Spirit. That, my friends, was an Easter victory. Here's another example. African Americans in this country who through God's grace have overcome the resentment and bitterness that they naturally have felt toward those who had exploited and discriminated against them, and worse, through many years up to the present. I think if I were African American, I would, I would have a lot of trouble forgiving, um, not feeling resentment. Many of the horrors in this history echo the horror of the crucifixion. Here's an example. A hundred years ago, the United States entered into World War I, and one of the soldiers who went to France was Leroy Johnston, who was an African-American man from Phillips County, Arkansas. He went to fight in Europe and was wounded badly and spent nine months in French hospitals recovering from his wounds. He came home in 1919, after the war, when dominant elements in the Delta feared African-American resistance in the form of demands for fuller compensation. Around that, that year, around the time of the mass violence in Elaine, Johnston arrived on a train back from France and was dragged out and shot along with three of his brothers simply because of the color of his skin. One who had almost sacrificed his life for this country met with the worst possible reception at home. How can this be forgiven? How can the situation be redeemed? It is not humanly possible. Only God's grace can turn such a situation around and take away the sting of the past. In some cases, the legacy of such evil has been overcome so that people can live freely and love unburdened by the past. Not that it's forgotten, but it has no sting. That's an act of God's grace. The past is given over to God, whose power, which the risen Christ gives us access to, whose power takes away the ill effects. A new day is possible. A new way is possible. Jesus showed us the way of responding to evil, not by retaliation, but by forgiveness and love. And he makes this new way possible by uniting us to himself and hence to the power of God, the Holy Trinity. From my perspective, this can and should shape our outlook 
on the multiple executions that our state has planned and that now um, at least temporarily have been called off. Executing people who have done horrible things, at least from my perspective, denies the possibility that God can turn their lives around. It also denies that God can redeem the situation of those they have harmed. Killing someone will not bring victims the healing and peace that only God can give. God is the only one equal to this situation. The truth is, we have all been victims in our lives, and we have all victimized others. We live in a sinful world of back and forth, being a victim and victimizing. But God's saving acts in Jesus can free us from that destructive cycle in our individual lives and in the world around us. The risen Christ brings us into what the letter to the Hebrews calls a new and living way. In the same letter, we read that the blood of Jesus, which sealed a covenant between God and humanity, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, who murdered his brother. That situation of destroying each other can now come to an end through the grace of Christ. Old ways are at an end now, or can be, through the redeeming power of the risen Christ. It is significant that Matthew begins today's Easter narrative by noting that it happened as the first day of the week was dawning. This was a turning point as momentous as the beginning of creation when God said on the first day, let there be light. With the resurrection of Christ, a new light dawned and a new creation began. All things then became possible through the one who loved and loves us so much.